everybody, and welcome back to Rethinking Supply Chain. I'm Diana Chen, and I'm here with your host, John Abrams. Hey, John, how's it going? It's going well. How are you? I'm doing well. I uh, want to con- continue one of our previous conversations today about um, switching over from the physical supply chain to the digital supply chain. And for context, for anybody who missed our last episode, John and I were talking about how Chicago is the logistics hub of the country, how that came to be, um, and how that's, you know, from the fact that we're centrally located in the middle of the country and from all our rail systems. And I posed the question of, well, does any of that matter anymore now that everything's digital? And the answer is yes. And so we're going to talk a little bit more about, uh, or John is going to educate me more today about how that switch happened and uh, any interesting things that happened uh, during that switch. Well, I don't know that I'll educate at all, but it's always good to chat with you. And uh, uh, I think I the reason I want to talk about the the switch, if you will, from physical to digital supply chain is that, uh, and and I'll tell you a little bit about some pieces of this that I just don't know and and am only starting to learn about. So the, the, the piece though that I wanna talk about is the timing of the change or the migration from, from physical to digital supply chain. And let me, let me first say that we're never really gonna be without a physical supply chain, even if we get to the point where, where we have uh, uh, 3D printers in our homes and we can, we can order a pair of shoes that just magically get, get built layer by level, layer in the den. Uh, there's, there's always gonna be a physical supply chain. I always am gonna want that I can go to a store and pick out a tomato and purchase it. And, and the conveyance from the grower, from the farmer to the store, wherever I buy the tomato, the conveyance is always going to be there. So there's always going to be a supply chain links along the way that connect a grower that, that makes something to me, a consumer who buys something. So we'll always have physical supply chain. And the, the piece though, that, that, I've been focused on for a long time now is the the digital side of we'll keep picking on the tomato is the digital side of the tomato and one might think from a distance that well there isn't a digital side of a tomato it's a tomato it's something you eat and so there isn't a digital side but there indeed is a digital side and it's really important, and um, and I don't fully appreciate the importance of it. I mean, I've been in digital stuff since the late, well, really mid '80s, uh, and then started to get involved in networks and even the internet in the very late '80s and early '90s. So, so I I just have this passion around digital things and. Uh, Here's the piece that I don't fully understand, though, about the digital side. I was out golfing with my good friend, John Sviokla. John Sviokla is, uh, I think he's Harvard undergrad, Harvard graduate school, and a professor at Harvard. And he's done a lot of really cool things and run some really big consulting organizations in his career. And we were out golfing last week because it's, as he pointed out, 
global warming. Therefore, in November in Chicago, you can still go out on the golf course. But uh, that that aside, what John and I were talking about was uh, the importance, as he said, of the of the digital uh, side of product, meaning the actual conveyance of that product in a, as he said, computational format is more important, more powerful than the physical side. And I, so this is the piece I haven't quite wrapped my head around. And, and John Sviokla wrote a paper uh, a while ago, and it was, uh, I think the title was Staple Yourself to an Order. And it was a paper that prompted folks in supply chain or in retail to think about the consumer engagement from and the marketing uh, of a product by literally, to the extent you could, stapling yourself to an order. So from the time it gets originated, uh, from the time it gets purchased to the time that it is consumed or delivered, uh, think about every step of the way. And he wrote that at a time where the digital side wasn't necessarily as uh, big a deal as it is today. And here's so here's the piece I can't get my head around is that in John's view, we should get him on one of these episodes. He's great fun. But in his view, if the digital side is more powerful, why is that? And I have a without talking to him in great depth about it, I have some ideas on why the digital side is more powerful. So let's imagine that that tomato has to be recalled. And in the pure uh, physical world, that recall tends to be a news story that is picked up from a press release that is written often by the distributor of the tomatoes. The grower doesn't necessarily pick up on the you know, communication aspect of the uh, dangerous tomato uh, that, that has E. coli or some other thing that we shouldn't have in our homes. But the digital side, you wouldn't have to write a press release and get the media all agitated about, oh, my God, tomatoes have E. coli, uh, rid yourself of all tomatoes, as we do all the time. I, I think there's yet another, and here we are in November ahead of Thanksgiving, yet another romaine lettuce recall that is, uh, that is afoot. I haven't eaten romaine lettuce in ages because... I don't think there's ever really a gap where there isn't an E. coli or salmonella recall uh, of, of romaine lettuce, crazy as that sounds. And the recalls are broad. I don't know if uh, we were picking on tomatoes. So I don't know if there is a E. coli tomato recall. I don't know that it is all tomatoes, but I would guess that it is not all tomatoes that are affected by an outbreak of E. coli or salmonella or whatever. It is a particular growing area, probably a particular field, maybe even within that field, a particular set of products that were contaminated at harvest time or what have you. So we get these massive sledgehammer responses to the little bitty pin of a, a contamination of a product, uh, you know, let's say the tomato has E. coli, the news reports will be don't eat tomatoes because they have E. coli, much as what we see and is currently going on with romaine lettuce. Don't eat romaine lettuce. Well, what do you mean don't eat romaine lettuce? 
I'm sure if we actually peel back that recall, it is a specific area of the country where the romaine lettuce was grown, maybe not even in our country, or a particular set of circumstances that led to a very narrow outbreak. But yet we're all told not to, you know, go to your fridge today and throw out the romaine lettuce. The digital side. So I, let's get this back to digital being more powerful. So the economic impact of throwing out all of the tomatoes or all of the recalled romaine lettuce is massive because you you wasted all of that energy, all of that fuel, all of the harvest time, uh, all of the containerization, the packaging of that product and the distribution and the sale of that product, just to recall it by, by this broad brush approach that says, throw out romaine lettuce. Oh my God, that is such a massive response to an outbreak of some bad thing. Whereas the digital side, could be far more powerful because, and I don't know if this happens to you, Diana, but I'll get a message, an email from Walmart. Let's say I buy something online uh, or at the store, I will actually get a message that says, here's your purchase history this week. And it's down to the individual SKU or the individual product that if it's a physical product that I bought, like a, you know, a lawnmower, will have the will have the serial number of the thing that I bought. So, so advanced retailers know what I buy and they're matching that up, I think now with my credit cards that says you bought this, you paid for it this way and, and we know you have it. We know, we know you have this product. So the digital tomato recall could be very precise. It could get down to this particular harvested group of tomatoes was infected at this particular point in the supply chain and was sold at uh, John's local Walmart store and he bought one of them. So let's send John a targeted email or text message that says, hey, two days ago you bought a tomato. I hope you didn't eat it, uh, but let's assume you didn't eat it. It, has, it is part of a recall, so throw it out. Here's a coupon for a new tomato, doesn't do anything to recover the energy lost on that particular tomato, but it, it walls off from the recall, all the other tomatoes that I bought or that you bought or that hundreds of thousands of other people bought. And so we're saving, uh, and I'm not a, a mathematician or a statistician, but we're saving all of this sunk cost uh, that is otherwise wasted when we do this broad stroke recall of a product like romaine lettuce. So what I think, and again, not having uh, gotten deep into this with my good friend John Sfiocla, but my guess is that that is just one aspect of why the digital side of supply chain is more important or more uh, uh, more. Uh, robust or or more uh, uh, valuable, I think is the way he termed it, than the digital side, which is really something that's hard for me to wrap my head around because digital digital products would seem more lightweight, have less tangibility, and therefore not be as valuable. Whereas, you know, he is looking at this and saying, no, 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 no. We're thinking about it wrong. The digital side is more valuable than the physical side. That is a paradigm shift that 
if that is true, and if and I'm just using one dimension recalls as a way to put a valuation on it, but if that tr is true, then the paradigm shift that we will all need to go through is pretty massive, which gets to the other itch I want to scratch in whatever time we have remaining, which is we're all really new at the digital side of supply chain. And so in our last segment, um, we talked about how Chicago as a rail hub led to Chicago being a and continuing as a logistics center. Um, and, and it is, and it, it traces back to our our legacy, our history. And, and it is interesting to me that the digital side is so new, meaning that the last time I worked for a large uh, Fortune 500 company that made products was eh, nearly 10 years ago now. And if I went to one of our distribution centers, so these are places where trucks pull up, they back into a dock. And if I went into one of those distribution centers that, that the closest thing they had to computerization was a standalone, standalone PC uh, that, that wasn't really on a network that was used to print out a barcode. And that's about it. And so when we talk about switching from uh, the physical side of supply chain to the digital side, we should pay attention to the fact that companies, even really advanced ones, like some of the folks I've worked for, have not had the time to recognize, value the digital side, and then invest in what they need to do to extract value from the digital side. So digital, and we should be conscious of this, digital conversion for almost all manufacturers today is left to the loading dock and is relegated to apply the right barcode to that box. I'm being a little bit gross about it. Uh, and, and I know that there is more that's being done, but it, at a high level, we should recognize that product companies, manufacturers, growers are really at the very early stages of embracing, quote, digital in supply chain. So you know, what, what I do in my day job, uh, we talk about artificial intelligence and how we match things in the supply chain, but let's all be candid we're at the early stages of that digital transformation in supply chain. And we shouldn't forget that if you go to a big manufacturer of stuff, their supply chain is not really very connected to what they do at the core of their business. So uh, a, lot of, a lot of ranting there, I think, uh, but I, I, I think some, and, and more we can explore, uh, but I, I, I wanted to scratch that itch of we're really at the early stage of digital in supply chain. And, and so uh, a lot of times on this uh, podcast, I will sort of complain about uh, the imperfections and the 
uh, slowness of, of supply chain to adopt new thoughts and new technologies. But we also have to think it's not been a long time since we even started putting barcodes on. And we're really just at that level in terms of digital intersecting the supply chain. That That is mind-boggling. And I, I'm glad that you used the term mind-boggling a few times too earlier you know, and it's not just me saying my millennial things, uh, but it's mind boggling to me that we are in the early stages because to me, it's like, I don't know, like the, the digital supply chain is a no brainer. I don't know how else you would want to live your life really, you know, or, or why you would want to do it any other way. But I guess before we go, we only have a couple minutes left here, but before we go, since, you know, we do want to be talked about this before, how we want to be more solutions oriented and not just talk about all these issues and, um, you know, the big picture scale, but actually, you know, let's, let's talk solution. Let's talk about what people can actually do. So going back to grocery stores and the romaine lettuce in the interest of not wasting thousands upon thousands of pounds of romaine lettuce, what can grocery stores do today, actionable steps that they should be taking today to digitize their supply chain so that they could at a minimum figure out, you know, oh, the, this batch of romaine lettuce that, you know, has, was infected with E. coli came from Eastside Farm. And we only have 50 pounds that came in from Eastside Farm. So let's throw that out and let people continue on their merry way with eating romaine lettuce. Yeah, as pedestrian as the sounds, I, I do think that, that, and let's just pick on the lettuce people, folks have built into their processes today recalls, and they're not building necessarily recall targeting or recall avoidance or the mitigation of loss as it results in a recall. So we, we take something like a recall and we buy insurance against it, and we do all of these things that really make the traditional approach a normal part of how we operate. And so I think the first piece is not to go buy some system or figure out how you do uh, uh, email targeting in the case of a recall. Not that any of that's bad. Rock on if you're at that level. But I think is to first realize that we don't have to operate in the environment that we've conditioned ourselves to operate in. And so to start thinking from a marketing and a, a consumer engagement perspective, how do we stop wasting people's time, energy, and resources by thinking differently about a problem like recalls? And if you start there, that we don't have to just survive the paradigm we've created, but we can actually create a different model, that will lead you to lots of different ways to solve that problem, maybe in ways similar to what I've talked about, or maybe in way better, way more efficient ways. And, and, and so, you know, first, recognize that problems like this are not something we should uh, memorialize and build concrete around but are problems that we should be coming up with clever and more efficient ways to solve. And I think it starts there. So I, not, a, not a recommendation to go product X as much as it is to just halt the normal 
thinking, the traditional approach, and start thinking there could be a better way. And that will lead us and lead teams of people to solve in a different way. Right. It really does just start with that mindset shift before any action can really be taken. Yeah. And one of the frustrating things, uh, because on this uh, podcast, we often will have the uh, millennial and and, uh, Gen Z folks, uh, because I'm always looking to get that thought. One of my fears uh, now that we've listened to folks on my team and, and others as guests one of my fears is that uh, that generation is not, they, they believe that the solutions are more advanced than they are. And so it's going gonna, it's, it's gonna to take some, some real motivation and dedication to say, hey, things are, are really in a, a different state than I expected them. I need to understand that in order to come up with solutions for it. Yeah, for sure. For sure. All right. Well, thanks, John. I think we got to wrap up before we, you know, drone on far beyond our normal podcasting time. Uh, But we'll be back again to chat more about supply chain. Thank you, listeners, all for tuning in. We will be back again soon. Thanks, John. I really enjoyed this conversation. As you know, I love the the, I love the episodes with just the two of us because we get to I get to participate a little more. But I we are looking forward to having more guests on in the future. So thanks everybody for listening. We'll be back again soon. Thank you for listening to the Rethinking Supply Chain podcast. It's brought to you by Venzi, intelligent product content distribution for enterprise commerce. Learn more and say hello to us at venzi.com. That's V-E-N-Z-E-E.com.